Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, per usual. Um, happy Thanksgiving week to all of my American listeners. Uh, I know the Canadian contingent out there, celebra- I know Canada celebrates Thanksgiving in October. Um, I just forgot exactly when, so I didn't get around to wishing you all a happy Thanksgiving, but belatedly, I suppose, happy Thanksgiving. Um, what do we got this week? Hopefully a short show. You might be laughing at me after I say that, because you know how long this is. But, uh, we will be reviewing UFC on ESPN Plus 90, that was this last Saturday, and was another example... Exhibit number 26,524, and why 14 fight cards are just not a good idea. Um, which is not to say the event was bad, it was just rushed, you know, the prelims dragged, and they got short on time, and then some weird timing of stuff on the main card, and it was it was just kind of a drag. There were some good performances, and we'll talk about all that, but... 12, I think, is ideal. 13 is acceptable on occasion. More than 13, you're pushing it. And I just don't know how many two ways... I don't think there's any way around that. You're asking someone to sit there and watch this stuff for six hours. That's a lot. That's that's really more the issue than... Even the number of fights, I suppose. Just six-hour broadcast, man. It's a giant chunk of your day. You could watch half of the Irishman in that period of time. Uh, sorry, that's an inside joke for those of you who listen to Damn You Hollywood as well. You'll appreciate that. If not, the Irishman's a long movie. I don't know what else to tell you. So, we're going to review UFC and ESPN Plus 90 and a little bit of news. Uh, looks like Bellator has run their final event. How much exactly remains to be seen? We'll talk about it. Um, A few UFC plans got shifted around. Nothing major, but enough to touch on. And, you know, whatever else news happens to come up between now and then. We'll see. Uh, uh, Yeah, that's the preamble. So, like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever's applicable to your podcast platform of choice. Always profoundly grateful to all of you listening. Thank you very much. Uh, If you've done any and all of that, let people know, share the show around if anyone happens to, again, if you know anyone you think might enjoy it, point them in our direction. We'll see how that goes. All right, in your main event, um, Brandon Allen beats Paul Craig via submission, rear naked choke in the third round. 38 seconds into the third round. Um, Not terribly competitive, as it turns out. There's going to be a lot of these that I don't have a whole lot to say on. Just spoiler alert for how this is going to go. Brendan Allen is pretty darn good. Moves fairly well. Still a bit hittable. But he's got decent power. Good grappling. He's one of those guys in uh, in this weight class who just... A lot of people have called him a dark horse to win the belt. And I don't think that's unreasonable. 
mean, his only losses in the UFC are to Sean Strickland, who stopped him in the second round back in 2020, and then Chris Curtis, who stopped him in the second round in 2021. That's it. I mean, he's got some good names on his resume, too. Kevin Holland, Tom Breeze, when Tom Breeze was still going to be a thing. Punhele Soriano, Jacob Malkoon, Andre Muniz, Bruno Silva, now Paul Craig. Like, this dude is a good fighter. He's flying a little bit under the radar because he's not a spectacular fighter. I mean, like, he doesn't produce moments that really wow you. Which, unfortunately, is a mark, I'd say against him, but... The signal-to-noise ratio in MMA is all over the place. And breaking through that can be very difficult. So getting, so generating a lot of, you know, fan support and noise is hard to do. But he's currently on, what, a six-fight winning streak? Yeah, six. Um, what, five of those are finishes? Yeah, only Malkoon went the distance with him. He's choked out all of your naked chokes. Sam Alvey, Christoph Yotko, Andre Muniz, Bruno Silva, Paul Craig. Uh, he's doing his job. He's going out there and he's winning. He's winning consistently and uh, he's definitely due a step up. Um, I don't know who exactly I would like to see him fight next. Let me pull up the rankings. Help sort this out because he defended. He was number ten coming into this. Um, having already lost to both Chris Curtis and Sean Strickland, that's that's gonna hurt a little bit. Strickland in particular. Um, after the fight, you know, look, you got plenty of options for him. I don't know what Jack Hermanson's up to. I don't know what Kamzat Shemaev's up to. Um, Shemaev, between the hand injury and not being able to fight in the United States, you know, that complicates things. Um, Paulo Costa will need a fight when he's ready to fight again. Marvin Vittori's out there. Roman Delidze could use a fight. There's not a bad fight for him with any of those guys ranked above him. Um, more than good enough to give them all very, very tough fights and probably win... Several of those I'd favor him to win. Uh, he's good. He just again he's flown a little bit under the radar for reasons both his fault and not his fault. But uh, we should be paying attention to that guy. Very good. Uh, Craig, I don't know. I do kind of think we've seen his ceiling, and it's about the level he is right now. He took a sh he's a top. He's probably around a top 15 middleweight, but probably not a top 10 guy. He, his defense is a problem. He's a bit awkward in his movements. He was a little chinny up at 205. The weight cut has not helped that. <laughs> and there's some guys at middleweight with some pop. I... I don't expect him to go on some, you know, big epic losing streak or whatever immediately after this, but 
I don't think a weight class change was his only problem. I like the weight class he was at was not the biggest hurdle for him to overcome. Um, but I do think he's still pretty good. He's interesting, if nothing else. And the UFC like him, so I don't think he's in danger of getting cut in the immediate future. How that plays out, you know, further down the line, who knows. But good win for Brendan Allen. He wants someone ranked above him. He absolutely deserves it. Give that guy an import, a, a pretty big shot next. I, th- I think that's I think that's fair. Uh, moving on down the card, Michael Michael Morales defeated Jake Matthews via unanimous decision at 30-27 to 29-28. The first round was the most definitive round of the fight. In that case, it went to Morales. Two and three. I think I gave Matthews two. Um, here's the thing about Morales. He's pretty athletic, got some power, pretty good delivery system, but there's just a lot of refining that needs to happen. He got the win here mostly because Jake Matthews was less active. Um... And outside of that first round, the other two were competitive. And being competitive with Jake Matthews is a mark of quality. But the method and, again, kind of the way this went down, I'm not saying get off the Michael Morales hype train if you're on it. I'm saying that train is gathering speed slowly, which is fine. I'm not advocating for guys to get rushed. I'm trying to be realistic here. There's clearly talent there with Michael Morales. That's very plain to see. It's also very unrefined, and there's just there's just some stuff you only learn with experience. Experience is hard earned, and it's the only way to. And you can't you can't buy it with anything other than time. So, curious to see where he goes next. Definitely a guy in this division worth paying attention to. I think how he reacts to his first loss is going to be telling. Um, I don't think he was in too much danger of losing this one, but a couple of more fights like this, and these are going to start not going his way. So how he manages that going forward, I'm interested to see. Definitely a prospect, definitely somebody you should be watching. Uh, moving on. Lightweight. Chase Hooper defeated Jordan Levitt via rear naked choke, 258 of the first. Um, watch this fight if you're a grappling fan. There's some striking. Um, Chase Hooper's... Chase Hooper's defense is still a big problem. He's just... <laughs> Anyone who's kind of rugged, right? Anybody who's a, a bruiser is has given him so many problems. I mean, he took an inadvisable amount of damage in a couple of his last fights. Jordan Levitt's not a punishing fighter. But there's just stuff that Hooper desperately has to iron out. Because lightweight is unforgiving. That is a division that will just chew you up and spit you out. 
but the grappling exchanges these two had were really fun. The final one in particular, um, Levitt standing over Jordan. Jordan, um, excuse me, that same guy. Um, Hooper, Hooper goes for kind of a double, I think I heard it called the Kuro Kuro sweep. I might be misremembering that. But you, you hook behind both ankles and then you kind of pull the feet out and you push forward with your hips. It's a, it's a nice sweep. He goes for that. Levitt defends, cracks him with a right hand coming back into the guard. There's a pass. They get in. Uh, the sequence is just nutty. There's so much scrambling, so much positional work. Absolutely worth your time. It's a short fight, again, not even three minutes. Look this one up. Good amount of fun if you kind of enjoy the, the stuff these two guys do. Uh, moving on to bantamweight. Uh, Peyton Talbot defeated Nick Aguirre via rear naked choke, 58 seconds of the third round. Round one to Aguirre spent most of it on Talbot's back. Talbot kind of wakes up in the second. Some punishing body work. Top work when Aguirre would try to pull guard, eventually gets the back, gets the choke. Um, I don't quite know what to make of Talbot. He's young. He's still kind of green. Came in via the Contender Series, so he's going to get a couple of fights to try and get his feet under him. I don't know, there's some ability. There's some ability. There's some potential there. I don't think it's unfair to say that. Um, I'm just always, again, he's like 8-0 coming into this now, 9-0. I'm just leery of guys coming into the UFC at that point. It's very early. He has a slightly longer amateur career than others, so... That might mitigate a bit of that. Um, someone I'm going to keep an eye on for a little bit, see how that pans out, but um, some slightly preferential matchmaking here. Uh, Strawweight next, Amanda Hebos defeated Luana Pinero via uh, wheel kick and punches, 3.53 of the third. I don't have a whole lot here. Um, Pinero just kind of abused Hebos for a round and a half and then gassed out, punching her in the head. Hebos absorbed a bunch of damage, kept throwing kicks, kept punching back, started coming on later, hit a few spinning back kicks to the body, hit the wheel kick. Um, I'm sure a contingent of the MMA fan base and punditry is going to do the yes, yes, Amanda Hebos is awesome. Um, I'm not on that particular bandwagon. She's not a bad fighter, I don't mean to say that, but she has how many fights in the UFC now? Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eight. ten fights in the UFC. And you're still getting clobbered by someone shorter than you. Who's just swinging the same couple of punches at your head over and over. That's a problem. She got busted up in this fight. To her eternal credit, persevered. And I give her credit. But there's just skill issue. I mean, look, if Luana Pinero hadn't gassed herself out punching Hebos in the head for seven minutes. Um... Very different fight. Uh, Pinero's got power, but man, if you're just used to blowing the doors off of people, 
The first time you cut, you hit someone clean and they just kind of look back at you like, okay, do it again. It, that's that's a moment of truth, man. And it'll prove where you are as a fighter right now. And Panero came up wanting a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've got to wait to see what Hebos is able to do consistently. She's been trading wins and losses lately. Um, I don't know. She says she wants to stay at strawweight now. She'd bounce a little bit between strawweight and flyweight. Eh. Strawweight's uh, it's still a pretty good division, so... I don't know exactly how much... How high she's going to reach. There's just some problems in her game that have not been addressed. And kicking off the main card... It's a bit of a surprise here. Um, so, Eros Medic was supposed to fight someone else. Um, Johnny Parsons. Four days out. Parsons pulls out. He is replaced by Miktebek Orobai. Who is from uh, Kyrgyzstan. I believe they said he was the first native Kyrgyzstani fighter. Which is weird because Valentina Shevchenko is from Kyrgyzstan. Might be an ethnic like rather than native, it might he might be the first like ethnic Kyrgyzstani. Because dude, all those former like not only Russia, but like all the former satellite Soviet states. Um, it's kind of a mess in that respect because the Soviet Union did just heinous things to native populations. Um, feel free to read up on that if you want to look into some dark bits of world history. Soviet Union, not a good idea, turns out. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, we, a bunch of jokes came up because the guy does look, I'm going to try to say this kindly. If you look up, like, artist renditionings of, like, sort of primitive man, not full-on Neanderthal, that, that, again, that would be insulting, but a lot of those, like, just generic artist renditions of, early man you you could maybe use his picture <laughs> dude looks like he's been out you know on the just out there killing woolly mammoths and fighting off saber like you could cast this guy for one of those like prehistoric movies and he'd look right at home and then he comes out and on short notice beats up Erdos Medic out grapples him very much like Habib style, get you to the fence, grind you down, good position, land some punches, good position, mat return, punches, mat return, elbow, submission threat, more ground, just in the washing cycle until you give him something, grabs a sick neck crank in the second round, says after the fact, you know, like, 170's not my best weight class, I normally fight at 155, <laughs> If I'm lightweight, I am not happy about this guy. <laughs> um, definitely some impressive stuff to what he did here. Gonna pay attention to him going forward. Uh, heck of a debut, especially given the, the short notice and everything. Uh, moving on. Again, that was the main card. Um, prelims. Joe Anderson Brito. Funniest thing in the world. He defeats Jonathan Pierce with a ninja choke, 354 of the second. <laughs> so, Pierce, we have a we have kind of a back and forth first round. Um, 
I gave it to Brito. I thought he landed the better strikes. Pierce can't quite get his wrestling going. He gets some, but he's not able to get a lot of ground and pound. Brito's just still in the period of the fight when there's a lot of um, athletic strength and explosiveness at his disposal. And Pierce's game plan was clearly, you know, I'm going to, after that first round, I might drop it, but he can't keep that up. Looked like it was playing out that way. Second round, Pierce is able to get him down easier, gets him to the fence, does a bit of trash talk. I think he says, like, come on, because you know, Brito's kind of like, eh, you know, help me out, ref. A little bit of that. And Pierce audibly yells at him, you know, well, get up and do something then, and punches him a few times. So Brito wall walks. And as Pierce is leaning, pressing into his chest, looking to re-engage, he grabs a ninja choke and makes a tap. Get up and do something. He then gets up and does something and wins the fight. <laughs> the kind of thing you might normally expect out of a heavyweight fight, in like describing the sequence. Um, unfortunate for Pierce, whose his wrestling is good, man, but there's a lot that still needs to be worked on there. Britu. He still has trouble if he gets to, like, back half of the fight, but um, he's got... He's a dangerous opponent, man. You can't take him lightly. Uh, you know, the prominence of the ninja choke over the last year or so, it's been interesting to see it rise. A lot of guys have really committed to maintaining pressure against the fence. And that messes with your guillotine. Not completely, it's not impossible, but it messes with it. So a lot of the defending guys instead now like half pummeling for an underhook and then changing that to cup under the chin with the arm and grabbing that particular choke, that'll make people get off you in a hurry if they're in that position. It is Because you have to. If you're too slow, and it doesn't take long to be too slow on this choke, Getting that, getting out of there, getting one of those hands off, blocking it and re and just separating. It's Im it's almost impossible to escape. The the grip is just mechanically strong, and it's dangerous. It's a dangerous threat. I'm glad to see it rise. It's gonna force some guys, especially guys who like reshooting on the fence who like keeping position, who like keeping their head in your chest, you're vulnerable to this there. there. There's clearly ways to deal with it, but a lot of guys picking up on, oh, this is a, a counter method, I've appreciated that. It's been kind of amusing. Uh, let's see, next up, Jose Johnson defeated Chan and Helliger, Chad and Helliger for your rear naked choke. A lot of rear naked chokes on this card. Uh, 449 of the third... Um, the fight with the crazy, with some of the size difference. It was, wasn't it? Um, yeah, Johnson's like a six foot tall bantamweight, I think. No, that was flyweight down there. Um, I think this is the one that, I think this is the one that had, like, yeah, just this enormous bantamweight out there just punishing Anheliger at range. Uh, warm down, 
eventually got the choke. Um, it's good enough performance from Johnson, who was trying to rebound after having a really less than stellar UFC debut. Uh, middleweights, Christian Leroy Duncan defeated Dennis Tallulah via TKO, punches and elbows, 424 of the second. Brutal finishing sequence here. Uh, Duncan just grabs a half-collar tie, a single-collar tie, um, uppercuts, uh, several of them. Tallulah's hurt, backs up, and then he just hits this, like, right elbow, left elbow, both inward, just right inward, left inward, and just folds him up. Um, Duncan had an, a somewhat abbreviated UFC debut when his opponent had a knee injury, lost his second fight, and finally in this fight got to show off a little bit more sort of the consistency about uh, and a little bit more what he's about. Um, brutal finish. Brutal finish. Loved it. Heavyweights, Mick Parkin defeated uh, Kyle Machado via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. This fight sucked. You could go 29-28 either way. I think I scored it for Machado, but whatever. It sucked. Um, Jekka Saragi knocked the crap out of Lucas Alexander. Dude, Saragi was like plus 400. Um, 131 of the first. Alexander misses weight. He weighed 148. Um, Alexander was doing well initially for as long as this fight lasted. Then he slips on a head kick. Um, Saragi kind of stands over him. Alexander looks to tie up a leg. Saragi pulls free. Alexander gets up, but in getting up, he turns his back. I'm not saying you can't turn your back when getting up. I'm saying that's very dangerous, and you better know what you're doing. Saragi bull rushes him as he's turning around. Right hand to the head. Just sleeps him with one punch, basically. Hit some follow-ups that were not necessary. But, you know, he stopped pretty much when the ref pulled him off. Just heavy, punishing blows. Um, heck of a win there from Saragi. There's a reason in the... There's a reason your technical get-ups look the way they do. It's kind of the safest option if you have to return to your feet under fire. And Alexander decided to try something different. Uh, let's see. Women's bantamweight, Aline Perez, defeated Lucia Pudilova via unanimous decision. 29-27 and then two 29-28s. You know what? Not being able to get a consistent 10-8 out of the first two rounds of this fight is pathetic for the judges. Perez had full mount for like three minutes in each round. And it's not like Pudilova did anything else on the feet. Uh, uh, not a very good fight. And I mean, to the point of not giving this 10-8, if you've got mount for that much time and you can't do a whole lot with it, that's not exactly a great indicator. Um... Perez wins the first two. Again, I gave her like 10 eights. And then Pudilova gets on top in the third and has full mount, has back mount. I actually think I went 10-8 in every round in this one personally because they were just wild rounds in that respect. They're so heavily weighted one way or the other. Um, ah, man. I, all right, I got to talk about this, I guess. 
So, Perez came into this fight sporting already some damage under her left eye. Um, turns out... Uh, hang on. It turns out there was some kind of an altercation at the UFC PI. So, story goes that um, Aline Perez got assaulted. She said this at the post-fight presser. She got attacked at the UFC PI, someone trying to make her pull out of the fight. Other reporters are indicating it was Jocelyn Edwards, for whatever that's worth. And there's some additional reports that Perez's coach then attacked Jocelyn Edwards and it turned into a fracas. Um, can't, I don't know. She came in with visible damage under her left eye and then it got worse throughout the fight because, you know, she got hit. Um, it's, uh, it's a thing. You know... For as good an idea as the UFC PI is in a lot of respects, throwing that many fighters with that much, like, this was inevitable, given the setup that they have. Just going to put it like that. This was inevitable. And we can hope everyone learns from this and it doesn't happen again, but if it does happen again, it's probably going to get worse. Oh, there was that. Um, after the fight, man, okay, I gotta talk about this, I suppose, because this is just where we are, in some respects. So, a couple of things after the fight. Um, Perez normally does celebrate via, um, is there a polite way to say this? Because I'd rather say it politely if I can. There's some gyration. Um, just put it like that. Uh, so she engaged in her celebratory dance that involved what were they at? There's a name for it. I just I'm a little sleep deprived and I'm blanking. And frankly, I don't care that much. Um, and now there's a little bit of a Thing where the MMA online, especially community, is like, yeah, you know, this isn't the best look for the sport. Her son was in the crowd, so, you know, is that really the best thing to do in front of your son? I don't know. And this brought out, you know, all kinds of weirdness, because of course it did. Um, Perez then said, like, one of the other things from her that came out after the fact. Um, apparently her OnlyFans is um, up and running. Add her to the long list of female fighters who are professional female fighters, several of them in the UFC, which is a multi-billion dollar organization. Engaging in some uh, variation of the pornographic trade to make ends meet. This is, um, I don't know. Look, I'm going to try not to be too high and mighty about this. 
Now let me say the following. I'm of the opinion that pornography is something the world would be better off without. Full stop. Any form. My opinion. I think there's research to back that up, but I'm not going to stand up here and say and condemn Eileen Perez for this. She's got bills. It's not going to be too long before the UFC steps in on this, overstepping probably, but it, because it's a bad look for them to have fighters out there saying, I mean, Jessica Andrade not that long ago said, yeah, I had to pay bills and my coaches said, hey, do this. It's a bad look for the UFC. Again, multi-billion dollar organization currently being sued for underpaying their workers and unfair market practices. To now have, to have fighters out there publicly going, hey, alternate revenue stream, boy do I need it. Never mind that the UFC is generating in profit $600, $700 million a year. Profit, not revenue. Profit. So, yeah. There's that. Afterward, she also said she wanted to fight Norma Dumont and have a, quote, battle of the asses, unquote. You know... If it wouldn't put them in the sights of some serious um, governmental oversight, are we going to pretend that U that UFC Fight Pass isn't very like? I know there exists like combat sports porn. There has to. There's porn of everything, and I. I got a hunch that if it wouldn't bring them under federal oversight in some respects, that right now UFC Fight Pass would have a triple X tab. But, you know, the UFC is, they don't need to deal with the kind of scrutiny that would bring. Um, I mean, even before they were part of a publicly traded company, like, you know, no, less oversight is better. Leave us alone. So, but, man, yeah, I saw Ike uh, Valley Flag say something on Twitter the other day. He said, if you don't have a love-hate relationship with MMA, then you're a casual. Casual being a, a bit pejorative here, but I think his point is well taken. If you pay attention to this sport at all, there's a lot about it to love, but there's a lot about it that you have to you have to reckon with. You have to reckon with the physical trauma, the lifelong physical trauma that this entails, the pay structure, which is crap, the utterly unscrupulous, in some cases outright evil individuals who are associated with it. There's a there's just a lot that you have to try and sort out, man. And if your view of MMA is entirely positive, you have the most casual relationship with the sport possible. And I think that's true. 
Um, look, if Eileen Perez wants to fight Norma Dumont, whatever. That's a serviceable fight. And I'm sure the winner will do horrible things to the loser that you can pay money to see. I don't know. I don't know how that works. <laughs> but, man, that just what a sad, kind of depressing saga that thing turned out to be. Um, next up, at lightweight, Trey Ogden and Nicholas Mata was turned into a no contest. 3-11 of the third. Oh, I felt so bad for Trey Ogden. He's winning this fight. He's out striking Mata. He's out, he jabs his face off the first round. Starts taking him down, out wrestling him in the second. Third round, more of the same. Gets on top, gets mount, goes for an arm triangle. And the referee reaches to check. Hang on, which. Okay, so Mata's left arm is the one caught in the arm triangle. His right hand is on the, the lat and kind of that area of Ogden trying to um, push him. I don't want to push him away. When I say away, it's not laterally along the same plane. You're kind of like up and at a 45. Like you just go that way because it makes sure there's enough space. Try and keep you from being actually, uh, from the blood vessels from being actually constricted. And the referee tells Mata, show me you're still there. Well, his he's got to have some kind of pressure going with his left arm. He's got his right arm engaged. Like There's not a lot he can do there. So the referee kind of feels at his right arm, which is exhibiting tension against uh, against the body of Ogden. He does this a few times, and the ref waves the fight off, thinks Mata is unconscious, and Mata is definitively not unconscious. I don't know... There needs to be some kind of agreed-upon signal for slightly different positions like this, where the ref says, show me you're still there, but if he like, he can't give a thumbs up or something with either hand, maybe he could have with his left, in theory. Maybe. But checking the left arm even doesn't actually help because of how it's... You don't actually have a lot of strength in that arm when you're trapped in an arm triangle. It's a really dis mechanically disadvantageous position for that arm to exhibit strength. I don't know. I just, there needed to be some... There needs to be something else we can do from there. Um, so the referee, and this case Mike Beltran, and the outside ref and the commissioner, they get together, they look at what happened, and they have to change it to a no contest. Ogden was pissed, and I do not blame him one iota, because you know the UFC didn't pay him. You know they didn't. Why would they? Um, here's a thought for the athletic commissions, any of them. Had this been a foul that rendered Mata unable to continue? So, an eye poke, a groin strike or whatever, and Mata, I can't continue. We are far enough into the third round to go to a technical decision. For those of you who don't know, the previous rounds are scored. They're always scored. 
if something happened, again, if a foul happens in particular in the last round, if you've been, that's the last round, if you've been over halfway through the fight. So if we're out of the second round, you have to be out of the round. I believe is the way that works. If you're out of the second round for a three-round fight, so you're out of the second and you're into the third and a foul happens, you stop, the action stops and the, and the fighter can't continue. Action stops, score the round to that point, and that gives us our decision. This happens in five-round fights as well. I believe if you get like more than halfway through the fourth the, is the point there. I'd have to double check because it's not. I'd be just out of the third. Again, I, forgive me. I don't remember exactly where. But had there been a foul that resulted in the fight being stopped at this point and it wasn't a DQ, we'd go to a technical decision. Is it really that hard to put into this, into the rules, if the fight is stopped in error? After the halfway point of the fight, we go to a tech and the criteria is met for going to a technical decision. We go to a technical decision because Trey Ogden would have won a technical decision. Um, and he, he again, man, Ogden was pissed and I don't blame him. And the, the, the show and win bonus pay structure is crap precisely for reasons like this. Again, do you think the UFC looked at Trey Ogden and said, I'm sorry, here's the here's your win bonus? They won't do anything they're not contractually obligated to do as a general rule. So he probably just got screwed. Um, really unfortunate. Referee screwed this up. The regulatory body screwed this up. Hopefully they can do something about this. Because Trey Ogden did nothing wrong and did not deserve to be penalized. Essentially half of the potential money he made. Not cool. And kicking off the main car, uh, the prelims, um, Rafael Estevam defeated Charles Johnson via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Um, smothering wrestling from Estevam through the first two rounds, then he slows. Johnson comes after him pretty hard in the third, but can't quite get the 10-8, can't quite get the finish. Um, decent enough performance out of Estevam apart from missing weight and then gassing pretty badly. That's it. Um, a lot of fights. Stuff happened. Again, some highlights. If I had to pick them out, Allen and Craig is okay. Um, Hooper and Levitt is fun for a, you know, sub three minute fight. Um, Orobai and Medic, just to look at Orobai and maybe get a better feel for him. Um, Brito and Pierce for the hilarity. Um, Duncan and Tallulin for the brutality of that finish. Uh, again, the, the Sergi and, uh, Alexander fight is only 91 seconds. You're going to lose too much time. And that would probably be it. I'd say recommending. Um, I did not mention a fight of the night. There was no fight of the night. Uh, I don't know that I completely agree with that, but also when I kind of thought about it after the fact, I went, eh, wait a minute, where exactly would this have gone? Eh. There's a few different fights you could maybe make a case for, but nothing really, like, stand out.
So your performances of the night went to Brendan Allen, Amanda Hebos, Drew Anderson Brito, and Yeka and uh, Jeka. Jeka. He's um he's Indonesian. And Jeka Saragi. All of which is fine. Um, they didn't give one to everyone who got a finish. I might have gone Duncan over. I might have gone Duncan over Hebos, but you know wheel kicks are rare. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that was the event. So my full report is in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. Give it a read if you're so inclined. Always appreciate it. All right, uh, let's move on, shall we? So Bellator had Bellator 301 uh, Monday evening. Bellator's card on paper was better than the UFC's. I think in practice it might have been. Um, so let me just very quickly. Um, because uh, we had some stuff. Um. Um, wasn't that really kind of stood out to me? Hang on, there was, was there something from the prelims? Um, no, maybe it's not. No, no. Okay, so uh, the main card: two title fights, um, a tournament final. So Alexander Chablis. Beating Patricky Pitbull, blanking him 50-45 across the boards. Um, Chablis pretty legit at lightweight. I don't care about AJ McKee and Sydney Outlaw. Um, Ralphie on Stotts defeating Danny Sabatello again 29-28. Um, Sabatello maybe having one of the more entertaining fights in a, any given week is weird. Um, but. I agree that Stotts beat him. Patchy Mix choking out Sergio Pettis, 151 of the second. Patchy Mix, I think, is legitimately one of the best bantamweights in the world. I don't know where exactly he falls in that group, but I think he would pretty handily be a top 10 guy in the UFC minimum. Top five specifically, there's some tough fights there. But he's he is absolutely one of the better bantamweights in the world. Um, really good finish there. And then Jason Jackson scored a something of an upset beating Yaroslav Amoslav not Amosov, excuse me, knocking him out um, in the third round. Amosov was like twenty seven and zero coming into this, I think. Yeah, and just couldn't get a takedown to save his life, and Jackson just kept punishing him. Eventually caught him with a couple of punches. Um, yeah, so I'm not going to go into that too much. Uh, the bigger story here, this seems to be one of the last like Bellator events as things currently stand. So um, the PFL has... This is starting to be confirmed. The PFL has bought Bellator. Most indicate somewhere in the two to three hundred million dollar range. Um, I don't know what Bellator's future is at the moment. 
Apparently, current operational plans for the PFL are to, for at least two years, continue to run PFL and Bellator as separate brands. Unless you already have a broadcast deal for Bellator in place, this seems like a terrible decision. The value of Bellator is not Bellator as a brand. It's having so, it's the very best fighters they have to offer. And a pretty expense, extensive tape library. That's, that's, I hate to be, you know, overly harsh there, but that's kind of it. That's kind of what they've got. Um, again, if there already exists a broadcast deal for Bellator for another two years, and you're going to play that out, okay, I get that. But short of that, this doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, look, I've, I've joked about Bellator, you know, for a long time because a lot of the stuff they do is kind of comical, but they do legitimately have some very good fighters. You have Patchy Mix, um, Horiguchi fights there. He's still pretty good. I would have said Amosov. He's still pretty good. Uh, Vadim Nemkov might legitimately be the best light heavyweight in the world. Uh, there's, I'd have to go through their roster more off the top of my head. I, I always forget who's there at the moment. But, no jokes, Bellator legitimately has a handful of top-tier fighters. That's kind of where their value is, and keeping them as a separate entity is, I don't know, I, I don't fully understand that one. So, don't know exactly what's up with that, but as more information becomes available, we will, of course, continue to provide updates, so see what happens. Um, I think the only major UFC news that I saw, I mean, I'm going to check again in a minute, but I saw that um, UFC, there was supposed to be a UFC event in Shanghai, and that has been canceled. Um, yeah, there was supposed to be one, when was it? I think it was December, right? And there was an upcoming one that was supposed to be, um, again, uh, in Shanghai. Wasn't that supposed to be headlined by, um, like, Song Yudong? Originally it was Song Yudong and um, Piotr Jan. That got changed to Song Yudong and Chris Gutierrez. They have announced that card, actually. Um, Sumo Darji and Alan Nascimento. Andre Muniz and, Park, and Junyong Park. That's kind of fun. Hak Paras and Jamie Malarkey. Jung Sung Park and Shannon Ross. Atudo Tydra and Carlos Hernandez. Then Song Kanan and Kevin Jusei. Not a terrible card. But, again, it was supposed to be in Shanghai, and it was supposed to feature, um, I think, the latest Road to the UFC finals. Um, instead, for some reason, it's in the Apex. Yeah. You know, I'm going to quote um, Kaposa. Grabaka Hitman here. I saw him on Twitter kind of go, especially after the last card. 
think he said something to the effect of, I still can't, I'm still trying to make myself fully get on, uh, get my head around the idea that the UFC is just going to keep running Apex shows. And uh, follow that up with, you know, nothing indicates the UFC's market power more than their ability to just hold events in an empty building and not feel it at their bottom line. No, he's not wrong. <laughs> I Every uh, the other major sort of sporting entity I'm not even going to call it that. So pro wrestling was the other entity along with the UFC that really needed to get up and running as soon as possible during the pandemic, right? And so AEW had a deal with a specific place in Jacksonville, I think, and had something approximating fans. They had like the rest of the locker room out there to make noise and to interact with the fans and whatnot. And WWE just ran at their um, performance center. First of their performance center, they changed it, but um, they just ran the performance center with no fans. They had just empty seating. And then they didn't like how that looked. So they changed it to the Thunderdome, which was a dystopian nightmare where the ring was surrounded by monitors, basically, that people were on and had, like, so you turn on your webcam, basically, and project yourself, and, hey, look, people. And then they pumped in, like, the fakest of fake noise, and, God, it was stupid. But they have deals with their networks that they have to hit X number of shows, similar to the UFC. And they have to hit those to get paid. So they did whatever they could to make that happen. But as soon as it was possible to not do that anymore, they stopped. They went they went back on the road, they, you know, whatever their touring schedule was. What the UFC is doing is basically like if the WWE had said, no, we don't want fans. And we'll just cut out that a giant, we don't want them for like weekly television. Big pay-per-views, you know, pay-per-views or whatnot, sure, fans. We'll go to locations for that, but week to week, we're in the Performance Institute or the Performance Center, and this is what it is. And it, for it not to have a meaningful impact on their business. They couldn't. It has a meaningful impact on their business. They Ticket sales, site fees... Merch from live events, the whole nine yards. The UFC was able to just look at this and go, we don't like this for whatever reason. We prefer it here. It's easier. We don't have to travel. We don't have to set up and tear down. Just everybody come here. And 
will sell a handful of premium tickets at ridiculous prices. And you can fight and get horrible brain damage in front of 20 people, 15 of them drunk. It will sell you overpriced beer. Th that's it. <laughs> and the UFC feels no ill effects from this. Other than maybe a slight general depressing of the market, but their bottom line isn't really hurting. They're still making, again, like $600 million in profit. And they're basically not selling tickets the majority of their shows. Majority, certainly a plurality. It's insane that you can do this. It's just insane. So, But look, until the force of law compels something to change, or they start feeling the financial pinch of this, they're not going to change it. There's that. Um, all right, that's all I've got here. So let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs, and I'll be out of here in under an hour. All right, nope, nothing new there. So plugs. Um, this Monday, when you're listening to this in all probability, uh, at least my short shelf life for content on the Internet. If it's not heard in the first, like, 48 hours, it probably doesn't get heard. Um, so you're probably listening to this Monday. Monday, damn you Hollywood, myself and Mark Radlich, just the two of us, we will be reviewing, uh, yes, I believe it's just the two of us, uh, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which uh, underperformed in its box office, but we'll be talking about it. And... <laughs> Talking about the Marvels, briefly, which opened catastrophically and then had like a 75, I think, percent drop, something in that range. Oh, what a disaster. What a disaster that movie is for Disney. That's that's not a, con that's not even like a, um, that's not a review of the film, that's an expression of reality. If you want to listen to the actual review, myself, Mark Radlich, and Alexis Haina talked about it last week. Give it a listen. We talk about the state of the MCU, the movie. It's a good time. So this week, again, Hunger Games prequel. We'll see how that goes. I'm seeing it tomorrow. Then um, uh, professional wrestling. So MLW on Thursday, I think. We'll find out there wasn't one last week, so there might be one this week. We'll see. If there is, I'll review it. If not, then I won't. Um, WWE SmackDown on Friday, and I agreed to cover um, WWE Survivor Series on Saturday, the 25th. Because there's no UFC event this Saturday, but there will be professional wrestling. So, if that interests you... WrestlingZone411Mania.com. I will be covering Survivor Series. It's got a couple of War Games matches, and yeah, that's kind of it. Seriously, that's kind of it. There is one of the world champions, the lesser world champion, is involved in one of the War Games matches. The real world champion is not on the show. Um, they're still determining who's going to face Gunther for the Intercontinental title. That's going to be the Miz. And Gunther's going to 
beat the crap out of him because Gunther's awesome and The Miz kind of sucks. Um, no U.S. title because Logan Paul has that and Logan Paul is part-time as part-time can be. Tag team champions are, invo are involved in one of the War Games matches. And the w one of the women's titles is in the other War Games match. I don't know what Rhea Ripley's doing. It's a... I don't know. It's not much of a show on paper at the moment. But I will be covering it, so stop by, say hello again if you're so inclined. I always appreciate it. All right. We will be back here next week. We will re um, preview... Just preview. We will be previewing UFC on ESPN 52. Becoming our way December 2nd. And is, in fact, a good fight night card. Benil Daryush and Armin Saryukin in your main event. We have a five-round co-main event. Dan Hooker and Bobby Green. Rob Font, Davison Figueredo, Sean Brady, Kelvin Gastelum, Kelly Roundtree, Azamat Mirzakhanov. Okay, the main card is good. The prelims, I'm less high on. Drakkar Close, Drakkar Close and Joe Selecki's pretty good. I don't care about anything Clay Guida does. I don't care about anything Misha Tate does. Um, kind of hoping Rodolfo Bellato defeats Ijo Portieria because that would be funny. Uh, full preview next week, so tune in for that, and we'll talk news, as always. So thank you all very, very much. I appreciate it. Enjoy the holidays, if you have any. Um, at the moment, I'm going to be enjoying Thanksgiving. Should be a good one. Get to uh, smoke up another turkey, and mmm. Turkey takes some work to make good. It, takes, it needs help. But uh, having uh, having a pretty good smoker goes a long way. So that'll be nice. All right. I will see you all next week. Until then, thank you. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.